Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me today is my friend and co-host Corey Walsh of Fear the Sword. Corey, my brother, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Mac. You know, coming off Super Bowl Sunday, a day for me, which was a casual viewing experience. <laughs> but for someone like yourself, uh, you can't really say the same. And for that, I apologize to you and all the birds fans out there. Oh, man, you're you're uh, that that makes me feel a little better. That makes me feel a little better considering how the game ended yesterday. But uh, much like I was telling you right before we went on, um multiple things led to that loss it wasn't just the call at the end and i might be in the minority here but i do think it was a fair call although i don't it was definitely holding but i don't think it should have been called to because it helped decide the game but at the very at the very least philadelphia had numerous chances to close that game out and they did not they let patrick mahomes and andy reed work their magic especially on those routes on the touchdown drives towards the end of the game i know we this is a cavaliers podcast so i'm gonna keep it the cavaliers here but i i just i gotta say as a uh, philadelphia eagles fan i was highly disappointed on that how that game ended uh but with that said you know back to the Cavs. heading into this final game before the all-star break i believe the Cavs are 37 and 22 and winners of six straight with victories over the Grizzlies, the Indiana Pacers, Wizards, Detroit Pistons, Pelicans, and most recently the Chicago Bulls in a very hard fought slugfest. And I'm willing to bet that they make it seven in a row against the lowly 14 and 43 Spurs team, who should certainly be overmatched. Uh, but I mean, you never want to truly count out your opponent, but this is definitely one that the Cavs have to take advantage of if they're trying to move up in the standings within the Eastern Conference with so much shifting. But with that said, Corey, is there anyone on this Spurs team that the Cavs need to game plan for? Because they have some decent enough role players and are led by Kelton Johnson. Yeah, I was going to say Kelvin Johnson's obviously one of them. I mean, they just have an abundance of like pieces that if you acquired them as a bonus in a trade, you'd be like, oh, nice. <laughs> we just acquired a depth piece. Except for Kelvin Johnson. Kelvin Johnson was a training camp invite for the USA team, so he is far from being a throw-in type player. But uh, Devin Vassell is also pretty solid, but he's been playing pretty well for the Spurs this year. I mean, Yaka Pertle was obviously one of their better players, but he was just shipped out for some reason <laughs> to Toronto, the sellers of the trade deadline, as we were hearing all throughout the weeks leading up to it, only for them to acquire a center that I, they I doubled down. <laughs> they were like, you know what? I would love to get another seven footer in here because this team has no size. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> That's all we have. And Fred Van Fleet is still there. But yeah, no, I, I mean, the last thing you can be in the NBA is complacent. So I don't know if I'm necessarily thinking just because we're playing the Spurs that and we're on a streak. Streaks end at some point. And Such I feel a like, pessimist. <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying, like, I, I don't want to underestimate a team, even though, like, we were on the opposite side of this at one point, not even like what two years ago, Absolutely. where we were hoping we would scrap out wins. Like, these are professional players. I never want to, like, just think we're going to go into something and do well. I mean, I wouldn't, like, it's Greg Popovich, too. So Pop might be cashing checks right now for all we know and not really trying to coach the roster. But 
I, I, I think it's going to be, it should be in the Cavs favor, but we played it. This is like our sixth game in like 10 days. There has been a lot of basketball played uh, by the Cleveland Cavaliers lately. Make no mistake on that. And they have done their part, man. They've, they've really shown through, especially when the circumstances were not necessarily in their favor, especially in that game against, uh, against Chicago. That was on full display. The second uh, half of a back-to-back, those guys were understandably tired, looked exhausted out there, and, man, they fought their asses off to bring home that victory. All of the bench was a major point of contention, uh, rightfully so, because you just did not get a ton of production from this Cavaliers team. Uh, and they, they honestly could not help bolster the starters. Um, you know, we're, we're talking here like we want to get the – uh, starting five, some rest uh, as much as we can, especially with some of these guys coming back to full strength like Ricky Rubio and Dean Wade. Yet, when they do see the court, especially in the game against Chicago, they're just they're not adding anything. Um, Karis LeVert, we'll talk about hearing him, uh, him here in a little bit. 0-4 from the field. Uh, Ricky Rubio, 0-6. Still kind of, I feel like he's still trying to get into his rhythm, uh, but that could be me. Uh, Jetty Osman also not very, uh, not very good from the field either. One of four, and then the uh, the nail in the coffin in the bench, the the ninth man, Dean Wade, zero of five. Um, just you didn't get a lot of shooting from your bench, and that actually was a theme within the starting lineup for much of the night too, until things started to heat up a little bit in the second half. Uh, but you you look at a game like that where the Cavs appear to be just too tired. To, to, to pull it out yet they, they they gritted their way all the way to a victory uh despite some of the shooting woes by absolutely clamping down on the uh on the bulls and this is a fun little stat right here over the Cavs last six games they've held their opponents to an average of 98 points per game and on the season in total they've held their opponent under 100 points 20 total times out of 59 games. That's ridiculously stifling defense, in my opinion. Now, in regards to the Spurs, uh, the Spurs actually score more points per game than the Cavs do. (laughs) I don't know if that says a lot about the Spurs or if that says a lot about the Cavs, but they're coming in scoring 112.5 per game, which is only good for 23rd in the league. So I want y'all to let that sink in. If I'm saying that the San Antonio Spurs score more points than the Cavs and they're ranked 23rd in that department, that says a lot. (laughs) That says a lot about the production offensively that the Cavs are putting out on the court. And it says even more about the defense Um, because we're, we're not necessarily winning these games because we can chuck up a whole bunch of shots and make a whole bunch, although we have guys that can do that individually. We're mostly winning off the terrific efforts on the defensive side of the ball. Um, uh, But I say all that to say, do you think the Cavs will be able to continue their trend of stifling uh, defense tonight against the Spurs? Uh, Yeah. Another key point to what you said about the Cavs offense not ranking highly is that they play the slowest pace of play in the league. 
slower pace of play equals less shots. They like to just do half court. They're not necessarily a transition team. It's playoff I mean, basketball. It is like that's it's going to fit in perfectly in playoff basketball. And I would say the reason the Spurs statistically look better offensively from a sh- uh, points per game standpoint is because their defense is atrocious. <laughs> Matador. So they're kind of uh, their uh, possessions would definitely outweigh that of a Cavs possession per game basis. Um, But tonight, yeah, I I think the Cavs should have an easier time unless like Doug McDermott goes like nuclear from three, which always seems to happen with this Cavs team that they just go up in the gauntlet and face one random player that just gets smoldering hot from three a la Jalen Smith last year is a, <laughs> a, a major point that sticks out to me in my head. But yeah, I, I think the Cavs overall, they have obviously the personnel to, they should handle this game well, but you, we've seen times this year where the Cavs lose to a team that many think is beneath them that they shouldn't lose to. And that's just a case of undervaluing your opponent, which is it's like, it's natural when you're a team that's like playing as well, the Cavs are to then match up against someone like San Antonio, who's in the Wembenyama sweepstakes more than they're (laughs) in anything else. Like the Spurs are actively trying to lose. I mean, you trade away Yaka Pirtle, you trade away Josh Richardson, you probably would have traded away Doug McDermott if someone wanted to eat that contract. No one was really biting on it. I mean, they traded DeJounte Murray in the offseason. Josh Primo got released. They, they're they're having a rough year overall. I, I would really hope that this – if they don't win, though, I can automatically see Cavs Twitter just going back to the fire JB mantra that they were shouting from the rooftops in the middle of the year. But – Notice how those tweets have faded away again. Winning, winning tears to, uh, tends to cure all in that regard. And when the losses do start to happen uh, consecutively, that's, it, that's essentially the first thing that gets done out there. Fire everybody, uh, get somebody else to replace JB, which is just ridiculous in my opinion because he's not to me not judged on what he does in the regular season. Obviously, he has to make the playoffs. That's, that's a no-brainer. But um, he's not going to be fired because he lose a game in the regular season. It's going to come down to the postseason for JB, at least in my estimation and for this season. Is this like – I think we talked about this a lot on whether or not it was a make-or-break season for him. I think absolutely it is, but it's not going to come down to the regular season. It's, it's a postseason or bust for him. And I, I would not hesitate to say probably playoff, maybe even a playoff series victory before we start talking about the hot seat getting even hotter for JB. But to that, I'm I'm going on a rant here, but we're just not at that point. (laughs) I don't think JB is on the hot seat whatsoever. I think even if they lost pretty handily in the first round, I think that they would still, just making the playoffs alone, I think is the benchmark. Not being a play-in team, I think is a benchmark. I mean, Kobe Altman, unless he decided to like completely 180, on his like expectations for the year, then he said it was pretty much to just like make the playoffs <laughs> be competitive. Yeah. It isn't a championship or bust year. Um, also, you can kind of tell that Kobe doesn't think it's an all or nothing year because if he thought so, he would have been more eager to pull the trigger during the deadline. And obviously he was content with the way things were and wanted room for growth. He really emphasized that in his interviews after the draft or after the, the deadline. So I think JB is pretty safe 
regardless. I know Cavs fans probably wish he wasn't, but you know, I I'm all set. I mean, I think that's fair. I think that's a fair estimation because based off the wording from just about everybody in the organization at Cavs media day and at the, uh, Donovan Mitchell, uh, introduction, it's that this is going to be something with not, it's not going to happen overnight. There is a timeline here in place. Although the Mitchell trade did expedite expectations, things of that nature, it's not championship or bust just yet. So I think your statement is, is very credible, very fair in that regard. Um, got a lot of season left. We, the postseason is is still a ways out and we don't know what seating is going to ultimately look like, but we're, we're so far from that, that it's, it's not funny. So I, I really hope that, Cast Twitter, cast social media, whatever, what have you, cast. Stop with that particular aspect of uh, critiques in regards to the coach. Um, <clears throat> but speaking back to the Cavs defense, what in particular, or, or what do you think makes this Cavs defense go? And you know, who who or what are the primary reasons? I mean, obviously, the the Mobley Allen combination allows for a lot of uh, freedom defensively. We always say how Mobley is so versatile and his ability to move around, but Jared Allen's pretty underrated in that sense too. Like they both act as if free safety is just moving around, being able to cut lanes with their length and make people want to not really attack the basket whatsoever. Having those two alone can make it so players like Darius Garland don't seem like a liability defensively. Not that Darius Garland's like the worst <laughs> defensive point guard in the league He's by any better. stretch, but we uh, if he was on like a team with a more uh, normal four five, where they didn't have such defensive stalwarts, I would think he would be exposed much more often than he is. Uh, Donovan Mitchell is also playing at a defensive level. We saw a few years back in Utah where he's bought in, unlike last year, where it seemed like he was all offense, kind of haphazardly going through it. Okoro, obviously, really contributes to the defense because that is his bread and butter. And I think Karis LeVert also adds to the defensive, and I think that's one of his strongest points this year, along with uh, his ability to find others i would say his uh facilitation and defense have been his strongest points to me this year like you can tell jb has this team bought in defensively they know that that's how they're going to win games that's how they're going to beat opponents that have more offensive firepower than them it's not because they're going to compete in shootouts night to night it's because they'll always be trying 100 percent on every possession if you beat this Cavs defense it's more likely than not either your your uh your players got hot or they just the Cavs had a miscommunication which happens just naturally it's human nature but overall i think the Cavs defense is by far still the, their identity and even with donovan mitchell being a third like a 25 plus points per game score it doesn't change the DNA of this team. I completely agree. I mean, you just look at the individual defensive ratings for many of these Cavs. It's crazy. And I don't know, you know, people get their their stats from anywhere, but I'm just going to go with stat muse here. Jared Allen is listed at 107. Evan Mobley is listed at 107.1. And Donovan Mitchell, to my surprise, uh, 109.8. You actually have a slew of Cavaliers who are not too shabby on the defensive end, and that does include Isaac Okoro, Karis LeVert, uh, and a few others. And Darius Garland wasn't 
nearly as uh, high in the in, in the defensive rating category as I thought he would be. He's actually improved, uh, in my opinion. And, you know, like at his size and his – I'm not going to call it lack of, lack of athleticism because his athleticism just shows up in different areas, different ways, similar to like a Kyrie Irving. Is. He's not an explosive athlete, but he's finesse, uh, and that is athleticism within itself. Uh, but he is never going to be like the – a, a Patrick Beverly type uh, in regards to defense. Uh, and I'm fine either, with that. <laughs> yeah. He's just not going to be. And that's perfectly fine because he just does so many other things so well. And as long as he's giving you such big contributions on the offensive side, you can live with that. Same thing with Donovan. Um, although you, you want these guys to compete on the defensive end and they are, they've taken that challenge. Um, that said, now that the dust has settled on the NBA trade deadline, give me your honest opinion. And, that, and that's what I want. I want your honest takeaway from this. Uh, did the Cavs get it right, or did they let an opportunity pass at the deadline? I think the Cavs weren't in really any position to make a power move unless you really wanted to shake up the – like you wanted to get rid of Karras, which really wasn't going to move the needle for many teams. I feel like his stock – wasn't super high at the time. Isaac Okoro stock was probably the highest it's been in like two years, I would say based on his recent streak of play, but I didn't feel like getting rid of him now was the best chance for us to be successful. Kevin loves contract while it's an expiring and Mm -hmm. some teams really want it. I, I didn't think the market was really, no one was really clamoring for Kevin love to come in and, try to shore up some gaps for them, especially after his recent stretch of play. So I didn't really want the Cavs to make a move. I felt like that was going to be more just succumbing to pressure than kind of just viewing it from like the 10,000 foot view. I, I really was on, I know a lot of people wanted Karis Levert off the team. It felt like, and they still (laughs) do and are baffled that Karis Levert is still on the team. But I think Karis LeVert, when push comes to shove, is a very valuable player in the sense. Like, off at, if you look at his stats, you can just be a box score guy, just be like determined. I feel like half the people who complain about Karis LeVert look at the box score when they didn't watch the game the night before, and they're like, oh, my God, he shot four for 13. That's ridiculous. And then forget to admit omit that he like was kind of flirting with like triple doubles with having five-plus rebounds and five-plus assists. It feels like more nights than not. And I think he provides like he is like I know our bench has been atrocious all year, but he has definitely been our most reliable outside of Jetty Osmond offensively. He's our most complete bench player right now. Like he is going to come in and at least make an impact. He is a net positive in most lineups that he's included in. And I think that gets understated a ton when you bring up Karis LeVert. But long story short, yes, I I'm, I'm happy that the Cavs kind of stood pat. I would have been upset if they just made a move that kind of reached a desperation. Like if you wanted the Cavs to look like the Lakers and give up a bunch of players for something that really didn't move the needle that much for you, just to be like, oh, look, we did a trade. Cool. Like we're not, it's not 2K guys. Like we don't need to make a trade every chance we get. See, that's exactly where I'm at. And I I did not for the life of me understand like the absolute necessary need for the Cavs to make a deal. 
it just kind of seemed like it would be fan service for them to do it. And they just didn't necessarily need to do that. And Kobe Altman has uh, admitted this much. And frankly, when you're looking at this, I mean, let's just break it down here. So you're, you're looking at the trade assets available to the Cavs. Now, whether or not Cavs fans thought that they could move off of Kevin Love's damn near $30 million expiring deal is neither here nor there. Because as you put it just was not an attractive asset, especially with his recent play. And that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money expiring or not to, to have on your uh, on your roster or at least your salary cap for the rest of the season for a guy who's probably going to sit uh, for for the presumably the rest of the season. Um, and it, likely it, it would have to have been a contender. At, at least that's my assumption. Uh, somebody who's looking to um shed some salary somebody who may be looking to add a, a shooting option though kevin love can still can still uh get it done when he's healthy and I what contender that. a has the cap space to take on kevin love and b why would the Cavs want to take on more salary for more years when they have players that are going to need to get paid in the future that was another thing for me it's like I don't know if Cavs fans were expecting him to be like, oh, let's swap a $30 million expiring with another $30 million expiring and hope for the best. Like no, <laughs> no contender is going to want to do that. And no, why would a team like Detroit just taking Kevin Love and then just be like, oh, by the way, you can have like two Torian Prince style contracts. Like I, I just, I never understood it. And I kind of wanted Royce O'Neal. I, I felt like that was the I one player I was like thinking about that it was semi realistic if we wanted to, you know, cut bait with our sweet uh, Lord and Savior Dylan Windler <laughs> and just throw, <laughs> and throw in like a second round pick because you know the Cavs have an abundance of them. But yeah, overall, I, I just didn't see anything out there that was feasible or that I would have wanted out of pure desperation. I think that's that's literally the the sane way to view it, like most people. But when you're just looking at the Kevin Love contract in particular, GMs weren't biting on that shit. They were not, <laughs> <laughs> frankly, they were not going to bite on that. And then you look at the multiple second rounders available to use, but opted against it, presumably after shipping out so much draft capital in the Mitchell deal. Uh, but I will say this in, in regards to that point. There were numerous productive role players who went for second rounders in filler. Uh, Jay Crowder went for five seconds, which is unbelievable, in my opinion, just too much uh, for a guy who hasn't played this season uh, yet and has been, I don't want to say consistently hurt, but hasn't, he's not the picture, you know, the, the, the role model in regards to health. Um, the Pelicans got Josh Richardson. Uh, a player many Cavalier fans wanted to be in wine and gold for Devontae Graham, I believe, in four second rounders. Um, the the Celtics got sharpshooter Mike Muscala, who kind of lit the Cavs up <laughs> a few nights back uh, for Justin Jackson and two second rounders. And as you already mentioned, this guy earlier, the Raptors got Jakob Pertl for uh, Kim Birch in multiple seconds and on and on like. Uh, many guys it was the second round uh trade deadline if you were looking for first rounders just it was the day before with russ trade and that uh-huh. was it it was literally open season on those second rounders and honestly it was nice to see like this might have been like the craziest trade de- trade deadline i've seen in some time if ever uh, it was a lot of role player moves there was like outside of the russ 
trade, which I, I guess, I mean, outside of the KD trade, obviously, yeah. and the Kyrie trade, it just felt like it was a bunch of quality players getting thrown back and forth, being like, I don't want these role players. I'll take them for your role players. And here's a second round pick. That's that's basically, and that was happening before deadline day, like Rui going to LA, uh, I believe, for some second rounder and was it Kendrick Nunn? Uh, to Washington, small little moves like that that have the potential to pay off uh, in the long run. And that was, if I have to say anything about the deadline for the Cavs, I do, I will say this. I understand that point. Like not moving one of the second rounders for one of these role players, I get it. But when you really look at the players who moved, are any of those guys, can they lay true claim to being one of the better? options that the Cavs could have in an eight to nine minute rotation would they be able to supplant anybody who's already playing um and we'll, we'll talk about the Cavs recent addition here in a minute uh that kind of relates to this but I'm just not positive on whether or not there was really anybody out there that the Cavs could have reasonably acquired with the trade chips and then you know we talked about love we talked about the second rounders and we already talked this talked about this guy a little bit but the real trade ship that the Cavs had to float out there was Levert who's making about I want to say 17 and a half million this season and is also on an expiring just like love but for all his warts Levert is still a pretty damn good option to have off your bench especially come postseason time when it's more so half court basketball uh in play and so speaking of Levert once more, do you actually see him as a long-term piece for the Cavs moving forward? Because again, he's making 17 and a half mil this year, and I'm not sure if he'll eclipse that number on his next deal. Yeah, no, I think Harris Levert's gonna probably be in the 12 million a year, 10 to 12. I'm no spot rack. I don't have the exact uh, calculations in my head, but I think Karis Levert is a very serviceable player, a team that many or a player that many teams would want on their roster. He's versatile. I think I think he kind of gets a rap now as the tunnel vision scorer type. I think the Cavs are trying to break that mold and I feel like I do kind of I do see it with his play now. I think he's there. kind of he's rounding out to being a very serviceable player and frankly, I think the Cavs fans are underrating how valuable he can valuable he can be game to game. Um, I would want Karis Levert back, which I was saying to Mac before this podcast, that this is absolutely wild that me and him are, I feel like are on the soapbox of the keep Karis Levert train, because for those longtime listeners, they remember fondly and well that when we acquired Karis Levert, me and Mac were wondering why we went for the less efficient Colin Sexton <laughs> option at the time. And uh, here we are. Verbatim. That's we're- exactly what we said verbatim <laughs> for all of you guys who may have come on to listen after that episode aired. That was literally exactly the words out of our mouths. Why are we getting a less efficient injury prone version of Colin Sexton? And now, ironically, Karis LeVert is like having his most durable season of his career when you look at the games played. And he's about to play the most minutes. He's on pace to break his most minutes played in a season since I think his sophomore year was the second most minutes he ever played. So it's pretty crazy to think how far Mac and I have come. Look at the growth we have as human beings that we're here defending Karis <laughs> LeVert to the death against the Cav Twitter. 
Karis uh, is the new Kevin for me because <laughs> I, I can't have my sweet prince Kevin Love to cheer on as he is rehabbing a injured thumb. At least that's what I'm hoping, and that maybe I'll see Kevin Love again someday. <laughs> oh man, we've come for a full circle here, as they say, in regards to the bird. And you know, who knows what the future holds for this guy? But he is a player that I'm very happy is still on this roster considering some of the other options that we have like and for all the shit that people give Karis LeVert when he has an off shooting night where are you at people where are you at when Car- when Jetty Osmond is having these same sh- terrible shooting nights from the field because I just don't see the complaints from uh, about Jetty Osmond when he goes four of uh four of 14 uh things of that nature it's just not happening so be equal <laughs> I know the worst thing about Karis LeVert too is like people act or people forget. I think they think when they think about Karis LeVert, it's like, well, we traded him for Ricky and uh, protected first. Uh, uh, yeah, that first is going to convert to a second and we got Ricky Rubio back. So we basically got there shouldn't be expectation that Karis LeVert needs to be the same player that we traded for at the deadline. We don't need him to be that player like Karis LeVert is very complete in the sense that he is a good tertiary ball handler. He has good vision. We see it night to night. He's bought in defensively and he's a taller guard that can get rebounds. It just doesn't make sense to have Mike knows. Mike, Mike knows. Mike, Mike always knows. All right. <laughs> <laughs> For but, the audio uh, people streaming this via audio cares via Mike uh, Wysong. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. Karis uh, is probably the better rebounder than what we could have got. I like it. I I love it. That's all I need. Some Karis <laughs> LeVert stands in the chat. That's what I want, baby. Let's get it. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, who knows what the future holds in regards to this guy. Uh, but for me, like, it, it, you know my belief. Everybody who's listened to me on Twitter uh, or on this podcast knows exactly how I feel about Karis. So I'm not going to go extremely deep into it but i feel like now that the trade deadline is gone and over he doesn't have to worry about being moved he doesn't have to have that hanging over his head and now that ricky rubio is healthy that kind of solidifies his role even more um so as long as you feature him out there with the likes yeah, I see that down there. <laughs> as long as you feature him with the likes of Darius Garland, one of or two of Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, or Ricky Rubio, and he's operating as the secondary ball handler, I feel like he can be a really productive player. Um, And I think you're going to start to see more mistake-free basketball from him. And let's be honest here. He's probably not going to necessarily completely change who he is. He is prone to boneheaded mistakes sometimes, but I feel like he makes more good plays than than he screws up. If that makes I think sense. people just like if he makes a mistake, it, it's something that like I feel like is a unifier for Cavs fans. They're like, "Oh my god, look at Kerry!" <laughs> They're like, "Look at him! He dribbled it off his kneecap. What an idiot!" <laughs> or he, <laughs> he, he forced that, that pass. <laughs> that's exactly that encapsulates perfectly how like the, the the trends are in regards to him. Like he makes five good plays. And then he makes one bad one, and then he should be gone from the team, basically. I think it's very telling also that if you if the Cavs didn't want – if they felt like they weren't going to be able to retain Karis LeVert after this year, they probably would have looked to move him still. But obviously we know there's talks ongoing and there's interest on both sides for him to return. So I think it 
the deadline in a weird way was also telling of Karras's future past this year with the Cavs. I, I would kind of be surprised it, unless a team that we're not expecting is looking to burn some cap space and are willing to overpay for Karras Levert, which in that case is understandable. But I think if things play out pretty normally, which in the NBA is uh, not an easy thing to forecast, uh, I would expect Karras to be back in Cleveland next year. Yeah, certainly possible. I, I'm not honestly. I'm not going to bank on it, but I would like to see it. I think the Cavs can go over the cap to sign them. Don't quote me on that. I'm I'm not a cap guy, but I think it's possible. Um, it's Capilier. <laughs> <laughs> the name of the show, man. That is the new name of the show. Um, to close things out here today, obviously we cannot let this episode pass without talking about the recent addition to the Cavs. Um. Although the Cavs remained stagnant at the deadline, they did end up hopping into the buyout market and scooped up Danny Green, who many of you may remember was originally a Cleveland Cavalier to begin his career. He was selected 46th overall back during the 2009 NBA draft. Holy shit, that's a long time ago. (laughs) Green actually spent the first 20 games of his career in wine and gold and would wind up ultimately being waived by the Cavs and eventually found his way to the San Antonio Spurs, who we are playing tonight, uh, where he truly burst onto the scene as one of the league's premier 3 and D wings. Against LeBron James. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, on the biggest stage in basketball. Um, He would wind up winning three total titles, two with the Spurs and another alongside Kawhi Leonard with the Toronto Raptors. Corey. First off, how do you feel about this signing? And secondly, does Green actually project to see any time in the rotation, or is this just added depth? Uh, I am ecstatic about Danny Green being on the Cavs. It hasn't, uh, you kind of thought when LeBron left, the ability for the Cavs to attract buyout market level talent is, uh, was pretty much out the window but obviously veterans around the league value what the Cavs are building and I think the main factor for Danny Green coming here is more that he was I think when they laid it out to him they kind of expected him to get minutes on a night-to-night basis I don't necessarily think he's just going to be a situational player I think this is going to kind of shake up some of the minutes I think it JB is no stranger to situational minutes. I mean, the times that you see Jetty versus Vehi vanishes, the same with Lamar Stevens, Dean Wade, now Kevin Love. Like, it's going to come and go. The Cavs do need three point uh, shot attempts, and Jetty definitely uh, allows for that. But I think Danny Green is also going to be very valuable. And Danny Green. We, we can't really say what we know of him physically right now because he just came back off of his surgery for his, I believe, torn ACL with uh, Memphis. Just came back, and then just like that, he is no longer on the Grizz. So uh, all worth it in the end. But Life know, comes at you fast in the NBA. Okay. <laughs> But he goes from one contender to another, so it all just settles. I, I'm pumped to have that type of veteran presence as well. I think it never hurts, especially more on-court veteran presence. I mean, yes, it's nice to have Robin Lopez and Howell Neto, but they get to see the the court when things are either dire in terms of injury or it's when they're just trying to give the big players some rest. A blowout, so, yeah. Yeah. 
So it's very nice that we got Danny Green. I think he's going to add a lot of off-court value and hopefully a lot of on-court value as well. But that's I think it's going to take a game or two when he officially steps on the court to see kind of where he's at. And depending on how good he looks, I think it's going to greatly determine the minutes because it was a low risk move. So it's not like they feel like they have to prove his worth to be on the floor. They just threw money at him and said, please come. (laughs) (laughs) You summed it up. Totally. It's a low risk move. There's absolutely no downside to this. Like he's not going to mess with chemistry. We know how he, uh, the veteran leadership that he can bring to the table. He has championship experience and above all else, the man is a 39.9% shooter from three-point range. When he's on, when he's healthy, when he gets the opportunities, especially via the catch-and-shoot variety, the man can knock down the three-ball. And for the people out there who are clamoring for a trade, that's what the biggest area outside of maybe getting some depth at the five, that's the biggest area where people were complaining. Like, you got to get these motherfuckers some spacing. You got to get them some (laughs) added spacing. And you know what? What better way to do that than to go on the buyout market and bring home a guy who has that experience and can knock down that three ball? Um, he's not, like I said, he's not going to throw anything off. Um, time will tell if he's actually a rotation guy here in Cleveland or if he is just a situation, a situational basketball, uh, you know, addition. But you can do much worse than adding him. I mean, it's. It's kind of the equivalent at this point is like getting um, and people are probably going to disagree with me for saying this, but we clearly needed it last season because we were trying to make up for the departures due to entry of Ricky Rubio and Con Sexton. It's kind of like adding Rajon Rondo. You're just throwing a dart. You're you're hoping that it sticks. And we know didn't necessarily play out that with Rondo, but he was in the rotation at certain moments and he did have his he did have a few games where he contributed. God, I loved Rajon Rondo. <laughs> I totally <laughs> forgot about Rajon. I mean, I know, I know, like I was I was hesitating there to say that, but I think it's pretty similar. Like it's just a thrown dart. It's not necessarily something you're expecting to completely like take the Cavs over the hill to compete, but it is a move nonetheless that has potential to pay off. And this is a much different situation than it was last year with adding like BG, Brandon Goodwin or um or Rondo. This is a pretty set Cavaliers team in terms of depth uh at the moment without having to sacrifice anything big time to to acquire a true upgrade. So I love the addition and you know at the end of the day, but I'm just not sure if we'll actually crack the rotation. I have a feeling he I don't know why. Like I know when you look at the minutes, like there's no really any wiggle room, but I feel like JB is gonna find some way to kind of kick the tires and see how he looks. I I like I said, I think his first few games are gonna kind of determine like how it's gonna play out, and maybe in practice too, because he is just getting back to game shape in a way. So As long as he, like at the minimum, if he can just provide perimeter defense and space the floor, that's all you really want from Danny Green. And that's what this Cavs team needs. Like on a night where Isaac Okoro is just not hitting, throwing Danny Green, get like 75% of the defensive value with 120% more of the offensive value of Karis or of uh, Isaac's not hitting. And you got yourself a good, good plug in. 
Way to undersell Isaac's defense. <laughs> Danny Green's coming to the door already providing 75% of what Isaac gives on D. Danny Green used to be a very good <laughs> perimeter player. All right. He did. He, I, I said he was a premier three and D wing. He don't quote me on this, but I believe he has an all defensive selection um in the mid 2010s. I think it was like 2016, 2017, one of those years. He he was selected to an all defensive team because he he's been that good. Um, obviously he injuries have kind of sapped him up that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Hey, uh, the biggest, uh, headline of that acquisition is now we have a competing Cavalier podcast again. <laughs> <laughs> Cause, uh, now the Danny green pod is going to just take all of our listeners. So that was a good uh, run we had. Yeah. Yeah. It's all down for our 50 listeners. <laughs> it was nice <laughs> knowing you. <laughs> it's all downhill from here. Hey, maybe we can get Danny on. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, just a little co- collab. You know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we didn't have no luck with Dean Wade. Maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll have some luck with Danny. Yeah, then we'll uh, tell Danny to tell Dean you lo- you missed your chance. <laughs> oh, man, yet again, the Cavaliers have an opportunity to get better. Hopefully, we'll see they uh, we'll see if they do that with Danny Green. If not, they're rolling right along right now, like we said to begin the episode. Six straight wins, hoping to make that seven tonight against the San Antonio Spurs in a game that comes on in about an hour or so. So with that being the with that being the case, like we always tell you guys, if you want to reach out to us, you can at it's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. Jeez, how do I always fuck this up? <laughs> it's a lot to say. I'm just glad my job is to sit back and just go like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You get the point. You get the point. If you want to be added to the exclusive It's Cavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, leave a screenshot of said review, and send it to itscavalier53 at gmail.com, and we'll send you an invite. That said, go Cavs. Have a good night. Go Cavs. <laughs> <laughs>